Our scripture lesson this morning is taken from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Listen, will you, for the word of God as it's proclaimed through these words of the prophet Isaiah. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down, so that the mountains would quake at your presence, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries so that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome deeds that we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. From ages past, no one has heard No ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who works for those who wait for him. You meet those who gladly do right, those who remember you in your ways. But you were angry and we sinned because you hid yourself, we transgressed. We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. There is no one who calls on your name or attempts to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have delivered us into the hand of our iniquity. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be exceedingly angry, O Lord, and do not remember iniquity forever. Now consider... We are all your people. This is the word of God for the people of God. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Jack and I were in Riodosa this past uh, Thanksgiving last week and um, had a wonderful time. It was an unusual Thanksgiving for us because it was just the two of us. And we were in the beautiful outdoors of New Mexico. He did some fishing, and I did some hiking, and we saw a bald eagle, and it was awesome. Um, But it did remind me that I wasn't with uh, my family, which I usually am. And uh, it did remind me also of a story from several years ago when I was with them at a Thanksgiving up in Boston. We were at Erica's house. She's our oldest. And as usual, there were just a ton of people, just all the siblings and their kids and and, uh, extended family and the Greek side of the family, which is really loud, which is perhaps why we were by ourselves this year. But anyway, um, I digress. it, it, it reminded me of on Thanksgiving Day, uh, you know, there are all these kids running around, and, and all the parents kind of parent all the kids. They're, they're very close. They've lived together in the same city for quite some time. And so at the time, um, Fletcher, the only boy, was an almost three-year-old, um, Erica's nephew. 
And so on Thanksgiving Day, she went into the kitchen, and she didn't realize that Fletcher was toddling along behind her. And she opened up the oven to check on something, and he, in curiosity, reached around her and grabbed hold of the oven. Of course, he immediately erupted, just wailing in pain as someone scooped him up and took him to run his hand under cold water. And fortunately, he turned out to be okay without a trip to the emergency room. On the other hand, Erica was almost inconsolable as she watched the suffering of one of her children. She was devastated, as any parent would be, I'm sure she wished that she could have kept Fletcher from that danger, but in reality, there's only so much a parent can do, right? One of the most poignant images of God we find in the Bible is the image of God as parent of beloved children. In our text this morning, Isaiah speaks of God as our father. He could have just as easily said, God, our mother, The point is a relational one. God loves us like a parent, a parent who would love to keep us from all suffering. But in reality, there's only so much a parent can do. Now you might say, well, God can do anything. God could decide to intervene so that we don't burn our fingers But over and over again, in the biblical witness, we hear that God gives us freedom to make our choices and then allows the consequences of our behavior to unfold. As we hear in the text, God will deliver us into the hand of our iniquity. God will not protect us from ourselves. Neither did God protect our ancestors from suffering the consequences of their chosen behavior. The setting of the text that we just read is sometime after 536 BCE when the Hebrew people were finally liberated from their captivity in Babylon. And they were invited by the Persian King Cyrus to return to their homeland after 50 years in exile. But as they returned to Jerusalem, they found it difficult to be hopeful. They faced the almost impossible task of rebuilding their community. I mean, not only was the city devastated, but the temple was destroyed, and all their leaders were scattered across the Middle East. They didn't have a community. There was no community to speak of. They had to rebuild it. So they were overwhelmed, and they were afraid because God seemed distant, absent, hidden. So our text today, this first Sunday in Advent, is a lament, even in a period of restoration, even as they were preparing to restore Jerusalem. They were lamenting, peering into what was a new beginning They were still afraid and overwhelmed. And you know what happens when people get fearful. They get angry. And they look for someone to blame. 
And so they blamed God. They said, you were angry, and we sinned. Because you hid yourself, we transgressed. Nonetheless, they longed for God to show up like an archetypal warrior, a divine warrior who would come down and tear open the heavens and come down so that the mountains would quake, so the world would literally shake in its boots. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Gosh, we are not so different, are we? Today is the first Sunday in a new church year. Christmas is officially on its way, and so we too peer into the future of a new beginning symbolized by the birth of the child Jesus. But as we light our Advent candles, we also acknowledge the darkness. Now, it's easy for us to set all that aside. I mean, just becoming involved in the commercialization and the excess of this time of year is a great way to avoid the darkness in which we dwell. But spiritually, we begin the season of Advent by carefully noting the shape of our darkness. Because in so many ways, God still seems absent, distant, hidden. And so as faithful people, we enter into this drama, this drama of yearning, this season of ritualized longing for God to come down, to come close, to come now. By the light of our candles, we acknowledge the darkness and join the lament because there are places in our world and, yes, places even in our hearts where God seems distant, absent, hidden. And we want God to come down now. You've probably seen the photos from the border this week. Two little children in Tijuana, Mexico, terrified, their mother dragging them away from the rising plume of tear gas, fired by U.S. custom agents across an international border. The tear gas was used to deter asylum seekers who we've been told we should fear. Although we know seeking asylum is not a crime, and in this case, the so-called violent criminals were barefoot and in diapers. Their mother was exercising her right under Article 14 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Any person whose life is at risk in their country of origin must be able to access territory and request asylum in a safe country. Perhaps we are not a safe country any longer. God, help us. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. 
There was also a disturbing story on 60 Minutes last Sunday evening. It started with an image of a deportation order for a three-year-old boy whose name is Emmers. He was separated from his father at the border and without notice so that his father never even had a chance to say goodbye or reassure his terrified son. Emmers was sent to live with a foster family in Michigan for 73 days with no provision as to how he would be reunited with his parents at a later date. 73 days, no goodbye. Fortunately, he has been reunited with his parents and allowed to, the, the family has been allowed to apply for asylum because of the imminent danger that the father faced in Honduras. It sounds like a happy ending. But the video of Emmers being reunited with his family was painful to watch. He had been so traumatized by the separation. He refused to be held. He refused to be touched. He literally ran the other way as his family approached him. His mother was sobbing. I'm your mother. What's wrong with my son? Can you imagine? There is reason to join the lament of our ancestors. Oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. But we are a people of hope, not despair. And even as we enter into the lament that begins this season of longing, we are not just optimistic. We expect a new beginning. We expect something new to happen. And so we stand on our tiptoes and we look in the distance where we can just barely hear the cry of a child. We see the birth of a baby who reminds us that God has come down. Not with the drama of a torn sky, but in something even more extraordinary. God did come down and fleshed in a tiny baby, right? God did come down, not as a divine warrior, tearing open the skies and making the mountains quake, but as a child, God came down and consented to experience life like we do. God came down and consented to be what we too can become, fully human. In Jesus, God shows us what it means to live as people who are shaped and molded by the divine potter. At his death in 2005, Akira Yoshizawa 
was widely considered to be the father of modern origami. He has been credited with elevating a child's pastime into a serious art form. In his hands, flat sheets of paper sprang to life. He folded graceful peacocks and huge flying dragons and a little teeny elephant that could sit on the head of a thimble. He made them from a single sheet of paper, always without glue, without scissors, without any additional embellishment. He was best known for pioneering the wet folding technique that allowed him to capture the indentations on a gorilla's face. When he died, the wife of this origami master said, instead of trying to be as lifelike as possible, he tried to make his sculptures as living as possible. If he was going to make a rooster, he would want to make it so that you could hear its, its, it crowing, even if you didn't see all its feathers. God is the divine potter who makes us not lifelike, but as living as possible. God has come down, and God lives in us, shaping and molding us into being fully human people as we are meant to be. God is making us as living as possible. And through our living, God will transform the world. As we enter into this season of hope, may we know that we are not waiting for God to tear open the heavens and come down. We are waiting for people who are all the work of God's hands to tear open their hearts and allow Christ to shine forth, shining light into our darkness. I pray that this Advent season we will acknowledge the nearness of God as we strain our eyes toward the horizon, towards a manger where a tiny child is cooing a song of hope that challenges our lament. May Christ be our light. May it be so. Amen.